0: OK, is uh, everybody ready? Jolly good. Everyone got their Bibles? Jolly good. Uh, everyone got their brains? No, apparently not. Never mind. You'll just have to get the tape. Um, right, OK, the second in our, our demonology series. Uh, if I could just have a little bit of quiet over there. Thank you, John. Thank you. Someone just, just cast him out, will they, um, Right, OK, now, where we move on to tonight is that we, we now approach the area where we're going to see the false teachings that are around today. Now, we're not just going to do this tonight. It'll come through in other studies as well. But today, we're going to start moving on to the specific false teachings uh, that are going around today in regards to the whole subject of demonology and deliverance and casting demons out, blah, blah, blah. Now, the first thing uh, I want you to understand is that there is largely... On the charismatic scene today, the false teachings we're going to be seeing, uh, there's been one person historically who has been mainly the person who has shaped it all. There is one key teacher, all right, and it's largely from him that the false teachings that I'll be trying to demonstrate as false teachings during this course have come from. And it's a person called Derek Prince, who I'm sure everyone here has heard of. Now, just to say a bit about him, uh, he's English, he's a Bible teacher in full-time ministry, uh, he's fairly elderly now. Um, he's an ex-Cambridge don and scholar, he, he's an extremely intelligent man, um, just to give you an idea of his record he he was one of the uh, key uh pioneers of the shepherding movement uh, that came originally from the states you know the the uh, you know the kind of the authoritarian that everyone has a shepherd and you you, you know God speaks to you through your shepherd and and the shepherd gets spoken to through other shepherds who get spoken to by apostles blah 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 uh, he was very much to do with instigating that um, now, we're going to uh, just be mentioning a couple of books, again, which have been very influential uh, in spreading the teachings that we're going to be looking at. Uh, one is an American book. Uh, it came out in 1973 called Pigs in the Parlour. And uh, this book, Pigs in the Parlour, came out in 1973, was one of the earliest books that really spread the false teaching. All right? It was uh, written by an American Baptist minister called Frank Hammond, all right? And uh, in the foreword of that book, Hammond expressly and explicitly says that he owes the teaching he was given to Derek Prince. And so wherever you find this false teaching, you will find Derek Prince being the one who people acknowledge as being largely the modern day pioneer of it. But what we're going to do is that we're going to look at uh, probably today's best known propagator of these teachings, um, a guy called Bill Subritsky. Now we're going to look at him uh, because he is kind of the main or the best-known Christian world figure who is propagating these teachings. Uh, There's a real sense in which Derek Prince um, because he teaches so widely, he's associated with many other things as well. But Bill Sobritsky is largely the person who is bringing these teachings to the fore. Uh, as I say, he's a New Zealander. Um, He was, for many years, a lawyer and a businessman. And when he became a Christian, um, he was eventually called to be an evangelist. And now he is an Anglican evangelist. And that is really the work that he does. He travels the world. He's very well known. And he's done a lot in this country um, in the last few years. All right. And uh, it's largely what he's teaching that we're going to look at. Okay. Um, (coughs) Now, it doesn't mean... Um, that everyone teaches the same as him, all right? I mean, there are always variations. I mean, there are, you know, many Christians. I mean, some of what they teach, I, I would say, is okay. Some of what they teach, they've got from Bill Sobritsky, blah, blah, blah. There are always variations on on a, a theme, all right? But Bill Sobritsky is representative of, of, like, the current charismatic teaching on the subject of demonology. Now, the stuff we're going to look at tonight, I culled really from just one of his books, a book book called Demons Defeated, all right? Now, in the foreword, he says this. He says, I want to express my deep debt to Dr. Derek Prince, through whose ministry I was encouraged to become involved in the ministry of deliverance. I have built upon the foundation which I learned through his ministry." So again, can you see the tie up there? Bill Sabritsky is quite blatant that what he's teaching concerning this subject, he has taken from Derek Prince, and he says, I owe a debt to him, all right? Uh, Now, let me say that, uh, I mean, in regards to Bill Sabritsky, there is much that he teaches about this subject, which is obviously quite biblical. no problem. I mean, he teaches our authority comes from the fact that Jesus is Lord. Uh, he teaches that repentance has got to be tied up in being set free from spirits, blah, blah, blah. There's much he teaches that, that, that fine, absolutely no problem at all. Um, but obviously, we're going to be concerning ourselves with other aspects of his teaching. Um, now, in the series that we're doing, Um, I've based this on every verse in the Bible that that in any way relates to the subject. So as I've prepared it, every verse in the Bible has been accounted for. Now, obviously, in the series itself, we can't cover every single verse because, I mean, you know, there's not enough time. But having said that, all right, um, we will, by the time this series has come to an end, we will have dealt with every single New Testament verse that relates to the subject, Mm -hmm. and about 50% of the Old Testament verses as well. A lot of them we saw last week. So we're gonna be doing it fairly comprehensively, all right? But obviously we're going to be concerning ourselves, not with what Bill Sabritsky teaches that obviously I will maintain is what the Bible teaches, but specifically the bits that I want to demonstrate haven't come from the Bible at all, all right? Now uh, we're gonna go through various things, and so the first one, is this. Now, we saw this last week, all right? Uh, the first thing he teaches is that demons are not fallen angels. Now, we dealt with this last week, didn't we? Um, he follows Derek Prince here. Derek Prince is the one who largely popularized that belief, and, um, and certainly Bill Sabritsky falls in behind it, um, and of course, we saw what Derek Prince taught, or teaches, or believes, um, is that evil spirits are quite distinct from the fallen angels. All right, Uh, fallen angels don't get in people. You don't cast fallen angels out of people. You cast evil spirits. And evil spirits are quite separate as we saw last week, so he says, um, and the evil spirits uh, are the spirits of a pre-Adamite creation that went wrong. And last week, we saw from the Bible, we demonstrated from the Bible that that cannot possibly be. So last time, we saw biblically that demons are simply fallen angels, all right? But what I want to do now, because remember, Bill Sabritsky, he teaches largely what Derek Prince Teaches. What I want to do now, in regards to this thing about that evil spirits aren't angels, now we're going to look at the case that Derek Prince himself makes, and therefore it's the same case that, B- that Bill Sobritsky makes. So we're going to go through uh, what Prince says in order to try and demonstrate his thesis that demons aren't fallen angels, but they're quite separate, okay? Uh, now, if you find yourself giggling, so did I. All right. Okay. Now then, there are certain points. Number one, all right, remember, Derek Prince teaches that evil spirits are distinct from fallen angels. Okay. Now then, argument number one. Evil spirits, he maintains, are earthbound, i.e. evil spirits are only (coughs) ever encountered on the face of the earth. All right? Whereas... Angels and fallen angels are sky-bound or heaven-bound, i.e. fallen angels and angels are referred to as being in the atmosphere and also they appear in heaven. So that's his argument number one. Angels are kind of heaven-bound or sky-bound, whereas evil spirits quite specifically are earth-bound. So evil spirits are only ever encountered in the Bible as being on the face of the earth, all right? Now then, in regards to that, let's first of all go to 1 Kings chapter 22. Now, we saw this first last time, but I just want to show you kind of how how silly this is. Find verse 19. Remember, Prince's argument is that evil spirits only interact with humanity on the face of the earth, whereas angels have access to heaven, etc., etc., all right? Now then, in 1 Kings 22, verse 19, let's just go through it again. We saw this uh, last time. Um, actually, we'll take it We'll take it from verse 21. Then a spirit came forward and stood before the Lord, saying, I will entice him. And the Lord said to him, by what means? And he said, I will go forth and be a lying spirit in the mouth of his prophets. Now, we saw this verse last time. Now, in order for an evil spirit to stand before the Lord, where must that evil spirit be? in heaven. So immediately the argument that evil spirits as opposed to fallen angels only ever earthbound immediately here from the Bible we see a sort of clear instance when an evil spirit is standing before the Lord in heaven. Now also do you remember last time we saw the thing about in the time of Noah when, you know, sort of like the fallen angels, they took on human shape and mated with the women and stuff like that. And when we compared it with the verses in Peter, we saw quite clearly that Peter said that they were angels. Can you see? So again, Derek Prince says evil spirits are earthbound. Here we see an evil spirit in heaven, so that doesn't make sense. Secondly, angels and fallen angels, are sky or heaven bound, and yet... One Peter tells us that what happened in the times of Noah was a result of what angels, obviously bad angels, were doing it. So there we have angels earthbound. So I say the first phase of his argument falls to the ground. It's really silly, all right? Now his second point is this. Demons or evil spirits seek human bodies, but fallen angels don't. So he's saying evil... Evil spirits, they want to get inside human bodies, all right, but they're distinct from angels because it's clear from the Bible, he would maintain, that angels, eat the fallen angels don't want to do that. And yet, again, from the time of Noah, Peter tells us that it was fallen angels who precisely did that. They took on human form and started to try and breed this kind of non-human race. So again, his second point falls to the ground. To try and make a distinction that evil spirits want to get bodies, but fallen angels don't, again, is blown away by the teaching in Genesis about the time of Noah and Peter. So again, the second point of his argument, it falls away. Now, the third one is this, all right? He says you can distinguish between evil spirits and fallen angels. Remember, his argument is that evil spirits are quite separate from fallen angels. He would say the evil spirits are working with the fallen angels, all right, they're evil, but they're quite separate from them, a separate order of creation. And as we saw last time, he teaches it's the spirits of a pre-Adamite race of men. But the third distinction he makes is that angels have wings and fly Whereas evil spirits or demons don't have wings and are said by the Bible to walk. All right. Now then, let's, let's go into that one. All right. Firstly, he says it's clear from the Bible that angels, which would include fallen angels as well, have wings. Now, let me answer that. We cannot know from the Bible that all angels have wings. Uh, It's clear, for instance, from Isaiah 6, read it when you get home, that the seraphim, the angels who surround the Lord on his throne, it is clear that they have wings. They have six wings each, all right? So we know from the Bible that some angels at least have wings because we're told that. But the statement that all angels have wings cannot be concluded from the Bible. There are descriptions of angels which make no mention of wings at all. So, the point is whether or not all angels have wings is something we do not know because you cannot deduce it from the Bible. Sometimes they appear to have wings, sometimes they don't. So, what that tells us is this maybe all that, you know, we definitely know that some angels have wings. It might well be that some angels don't have wings, but we do not know one way or the other. You cannot definitely conclude that from the Bible. So whether all angels have wings is something we do not know. And when someone tries to argue from that point, it's lunatic, because then someone is trying to argue from a point that cannot be established from the Bible, all right? So Derek Prince firstly says that the distinction or a distinction between the fallen angels and the evil spirits is that angels always have wings. And we can see immediately that firstly, the Bible, you cannot conclude from the Bible that all angels have wings, all right? But the second part, all right, is that he says that, okay, we know that angels have wings, which I would say we don't, we know some of them do, but he says demons or evil spirits don't have wings and they walk. Now, I've got to demonstrate this because that seems a strange point, doesn't it? Now, if you go to Matthew 12 and verse 43 for this. Matthew 12 and verse 43. And I want to show you where he gets this idea from. Matthew 12, verse 43. Now, it's a little parable, a little thing that Jesus taught that we'll be back to in detail later on in the series, but there's just one particular point that that I want from this. Now, let me ask, has anyone here got the King James Version? Yeah. Right, okay, Robert has got the King James Version. Could you read for us Matthew 12, verse 43, please? When the unclean spirit is gone out of a man, he walketh through dry places seeking rest i finding none. Right, okay. Now that is where Derek Prince gets this statement from, that as distinct from angels who have wings and fly, which is a statement we can't ascertain from the Bible. We know that some do, but we don't know that all do, all right? He would say that one of the things that tells us that evil spirits aren't angels is that they don't have wings, and the Bible says that they walk. And he gets it from this verse, Matthew 12, verse 43. Now then, let me read that verse from my translation, which is a bit more modern. When the unclean spirit has gone out of a man, he passes through waterless places. Now, the Greek verb there, which in Robert's translation, the King James, is translated walks through, and in my Bible is translated passes through, all right? The Greek verb is diakomai, and it means to pass through through in the same way that if I walked out of that door and out the front door, I have passed through the hall. Now, here's the point. Walking is merely one way of passing through because consequently, if I had Lee's bike in here and I rode the bike out that door and out the front door, I've still passed through the hall, but I haven't walked through. Can you see what I mean? And this verb, diakome, all right, it means to pass through in whatever way to translate it specifically as walking, is absolutely daft. And that's why the modern translations have corrected it. So Derek Prince's point, firstly he says, demons and angels are quite separate, all right? And we know that angels have wings, and we've seen that some do, but you can't establish that all do. But he says demons don't and walk. This is based on an incorrect translation of the Bible. So I don't know if you can see that Derek Prince's argument here, every point of it and the argument, you know, sort of like, you know, ages ago when I heard his tapes specifically on this subject, I took notes, I have simply passed on to you what he teaches. I don't know if you can see that the whole thing just falls absolutely to the ground. And that what he, you know, what we have here is that he argues from incorrect assumptions, And if you argue something from incorrect assumptions, your argument is just not going to make sense. So what we have from Prince is a demonstration that demons and fallen angels are different types of being. And he argues that from data about each that cannot be established from the Bible. So as he tries to argue that evil spirits are separate from angels... The data that he uses, the evidence that he uses is not even biblical and it doesn't make sense. So therefore, we've got to lay that to one side. Last week, we looked at that argument simply from the Bible, all right? And we saw that the Bible leaves no room whatsoever for pre-Adamite creations, anything like that, and that evil spirits are simply fallen angels. This week, we've looked at his argument itself and we found that it just falls absolutely to pieces, all right. And one of the things that I found interesting is that the tape that I heard when he dealt with this, um, he said himself that this is something that is largely based on an inner conviction that he has. He accepts that it can't be really satisfactorily proved from the Bible, but nevertheless, he has an inner conviction. And ironically, I think that says it all. If you see what I mean, because anyone who's willing to assert something, no matter how convicted they feel about it, anyone who asserts something admitting, but I can't really, I can have a good try, but I can't really demonstrate it from the Bible. That seems to me to be, you know, a really silly thing to do. All right. Now, all right, we've gone over that because Bill Sobritsky, who is mainly the person we're going to be looking at now, um, teaches it as well. Bill Sobritsky, let me remind you, mainly got his demonology, as did most of the other Bible teachers who are into all this stuff. They mainly got it from Derek Prince. But let me say at this point, though, that there are many Christians who go along with Derek Prince and Bill Sabritsky on the stuff we're going to go on to do now, but they part company on that point. I.e., there are loads and loads of Christians that they'd agree, basically, with everything that Derek Prince and Bill Sabritsky teach, except that. All right. I just say that in, in fairness, but it was important to do it because it is a teaching you'll come up against um, in time. Right now, then, the second thing, and this is what we're really going to home in on tonight, all right? Uh, Bill Sobritsky teaches, and of course, the whole point is uh, that he's teaching demonology because he wants to encourage people and to teach Christians how to ascertain if someone has got demons and how to get them out if they've got them. Now, we will be covering that in later talks, but obviously the whole point of what he's trying to do is teaching Christians to how, how you diagnose, he would say, that someone's got a demon and how you get them out, all right? So you've got to remember that this teaching, far from being merely theoretical, is being put into practice all over the place. And maybe after tonight, you might get a little bit of the idea of the chaos um, and personal confusion that it's causing, particularly <laughs> in the people who get ministered to. I mean, they, they are... After all, the ones at the bottom of the pecking order, aren't they? So, the second thing that we're going to look at uh, Bill Sabritsky teaches that demons, uh, and, and he's talking about when demons are found in people, all right, i.e., people get demonised and they need to be cast out, blah, blah, blah. <clears throat> he teaches that demons are found in clusters or packs. He'll call them a cluster of demons or a pack. Now, in, in each cluster of demons in somebody, there will be one demon in charge. Uh, now, he calls this variously uh, the leader of the pack demon or the strong man, all right? So where you have someone demonized, they, they, they're gonna have a cluster or a pack of demons, all right? Now, one demon will be the strong man or the leader of the pack, in regards to that cluster. And that demon will control the other demons in, in that pack or that cluster, all right? Um, now, these, these kind of strong man demons, the controllers of these presumably hordes of little packs of demons wandering around trying to find people to get into, all right? He says that, I mean, obviously there are loads and loads of them. There are different types, all right? But <coughs> what he teaches is that there are three main strong men, demons or leaders of the pack that you've got to watch out for because these are the main ones that you're going to come up against if you start ministering to people, all right? So what we're seeing is that he teaches that demons come in clusters, groups, all right? Each group has a dominant demon amongst them, the leader of the pack, the control spirit or the strong man, as he calls it, okay? Okay? and uh, and that that strong man demon is in charge of the others, all right? And he'd actually go so far as to say that as you're casting the demons out, it's the strong man demon who kind of sends the demons out in whatever order or whatever, okay? Now then, but there are three strong men demons in particular, okay? And we're going to look at each one. And the important thing is we're going to be asking all the way through this is what is his biblical basis for teaching all this, now, remember, tonight is really the first talk dealing with false teaching. We'll be back to it again and again. So, we're only dealing tonight with one aspect of the false teaching, but it is an important one. Now, then, strong man demon number one that you've got to watch out for is the spirit of Jezebel. All right? The spirit of Jezebel. Now, what I'm going to do is I'm going to read the verses that Bill Sabritsky in his books quotes. For everything he says about the spirit of Jezebel. Now, in a minute, you'll see everything he says about the spirit of Jezebel, all right? But first of all, let's read the passage in the Bible that he quotes as his scriptural basis. Go to Isaiah 47. Isaiah 47. just say that as I'm going through what I am defining as false teaching, um, I will give you the biblical basis that these people claim for it, as indeed I'm going to show you the biblical basis for his teaching about the spirit of Jezebel. Now, all I can do is to leave it for you. Maybe you'll think, oh yes, of course, Bill Sabritsky has got it right. If you think what Bill Sabritsky teaches is faithful to the Bible, go with it. If you think I'm wrong, lay what I'm saying aside but I'm going to give you the biblical basis and you must make up your own mind now then Isaiah 47 and if you find verse 8 Isaiah 47 and verse 8 and we get this Um, I'll just read verse 5 to give you the context "'Sit in silence and go into darkness, O daughter of the Chaldeans.'" The Chaldeans was another name for the Babylonians, all right? Now then, verse uh, verse 8 and 9. "'Now therefore hear this, you lover of pleasures, "'who sit securely, who say in your heart, "'I am, and there is no one besides me. "'I shall not sit as a widow or know the loss of children. "'These two things shall come to you in a moment, in one day.'" "...the loss of children and widowhood shall come upon you in full measure, in spite of your many sorceries and the great power of your enchantments." Let's go down into verse 10 and 11. "...you felt secure in your wickedness. You said, no one sees me. Your wisdom and your knowledge led you astray, and you said in your heart, I am, and there is no one besides me. But evil shall come upon you for which you cannot atone." disaster shall fall upon you, which you will not be able to expiate, and ruin shall come upon you suddenly, of which you know nothing. Stand fast in your enchantments and your many sorceries with which you have labored from your youth. Perhaps you you may be able to succeed. Perhaps you may inspire terror. You are wearied with your many counsels. Let them stand forth and save you, those who divide the heavens, who gaze at the stars, who at the new moons predict predict what shall befall you. Behold, they're like stubble, and fire consumes men consumes them. They cannot deliver themselves from the power of the flame. No coal for warming oneself is this, no fire to sit before. Such to you are those with whom you have labored, who have trafficked with you from your youth. They wander about each in his own direction. There is no one to save you. Now then I have just given you Bill Sobritsky's biblical basis for his teaching on the spirit of Jezebel. Now what we have here in actual fact, in context, is we have a prophecy through the prophet Isaiah warning the Chaldeans, a nation, of the judgment of God that was going to come upon them because of their wickedness. Now Any Bible expositor who's been around for the last 2,000 years will tell you um, that, I mean, this is a literal prophecy about a literal people, the ancient Babylonians, all right? Now, if you want to start getting symbolic about it, and Revelation gets very symbolic about Babylon, any Bible expositor will tell you, um, you know, that, Babylon symbolically represents, as it were, the humanity vaunting itself against God, i.e. the power of man that considers it does not need God, including religion. And there are prophecies in Revelation against Babylon, and it's talking about the fact that God is going to judge the world and the pride by which man thinks that he can save himself without God. So here we have a prophecy to a literal people, the Babylonians. And yet Babylon has a significant, a kind of a symbolic meaning in the Bible, and it's mankind vaunting itself against God, which seems fair enough. Nebuchadnezzar, all right, the very first Babylonian king who gets mentioned in the Bible, do you remember there's a a story when he was kind of like walking around his great city, and he said, you know, look what I have built by my mighty power to the glory of my name. Can you see? I mean, next thing you know, God, God judged him and he went mad, and after that he got saved. But it's kind of always been a picture of the fact that man thinks he can get by without God. Thank you very much. Now, any Bible expositor who's been around for the last 2,000 years will tell you that. However, <coughs> Bill Sabritsky maintains that it's not about that at all. It's about an evil strong man spirit who's called Jezebel, but it's in coded language. All right? And the Lord has shown him it's talking about this spirit called Jezebel. Now, one of the things I can't ascertain from Bill Sabritsky's teachings is whether these three strong men demons we're gonna see, I can't work out from his books whether there's one of each or whether there's loads of them. I whether there are loads of spirits of Jezebel. I mean, it doesn't make any sense to me. Because presumably, I mean it's like if someone in England has got a spirit of Jezebel. And according to Bill Sobritsky, loads of people he meets do, all right? And presumably people in America (laughs) have them as well. I mean, sort of like if there are people in America with the spirit of Jezebel and people in England, or say there's someone in Chigual with the spirit of Jezebel and someone in South Wooford with the spirit of Jezebel, uh, are we talking about one spirit or lots? I mean, again, I can't work out, with these kind of three strong man demons, I can't work out whether he's saying there's one of each or loads of each, I honestly can't work that out all right. But basically what we've got here is that Bill Sabritsky is saying that these verses in Isaiah are a demonstration of the fact that it's talking about the control of the strong man, spirit called Jezebel. So we better ask, is there anything in the Bible at all about Jezebel? Because there's nothing in here. I mean, the name doesn't even appear. Now, there are two places in the Bible where Jezebel is mentioned, all right? Uh, The first one we won't bother to turn to, but in uh, in the days of Elijah the prophet, all right, Israel's king, Ahab, was married to a woman called Jezebel. Now, she was a pretty nasty woman, all right? And, uh, you know, but, I mean, you know, Bill Sabritsky in none of his books, does he mention that Jezebel? So he doesn't make any tie-up with her at all. (laughs) Not that there could be, because she was a woman, a historical woman who was married to an historical Israeli king, all right? Um, Now, there's one other place where Jezebel is mentioned. If you go to Revelation, if you go to Revelation... (coughs) Revelation chapter 2. Now this, Bill Sobritsky claims, is a direct reference to the spirit of Jezebel, all right? Revelations chapter 2 and verse 20. Uh, Now, Revelation 1 and 2 are the seven letters that Jesus dictated to John the Apostle to send to seven churches, all right? So this is a letter, all right? And this is the letter to the church at Thyatira, and in verse 19, the Lord says this, "'I know your works, your love and faith and service "'and patient endurance, "'and that your latter works exceed the first. "'But I have this against you, "'that you tolerate the woman Jezebel, "'who calls herself a prophetess, "'and is teaching and beguiling my servants "'to practise immorality "'and to eat food sacrificed to idols. "'I gave her time to repent, "'but she refuses to repent, blah, blah, blah. "'I will throw her on a sick bed, etc., etc.' Now here, the Lord is talking about a specific woman in the church called Jezebel in exactly the same way that Paul was a specific person. All right, Here we have a woman called Jezebel who had got herself accepted as being a prophetess in this church but she was teaching immorality. So she wasn't a prophetess at all. She was a false prophet. And the Lord is writing to them and saying, look, I want you to deal with her. I want you to excommunicate her unless she repents. So again, there's nothing here to do with the spirit of Jezebel that is a control spirit, can you see? We have now totally exhausted what the Bible says about anything to do with Jezebel. And uh, so all I can do um, is, is to put to you, um, you know, the fact that uh, I don't think there is anything here from the Bible to substantiate in any way at all that there is a strong man a demon called Jezebel. All right, Uh, but Bill Sobritsky maintains that all this, the Isaiah 1 in particular, it's all code, it's coded language for the spirit of Jezebel. It doesn't say it blatantly, but it's spiritually coded, and it means the spirit of Jezebel. Um, I think it might be Donald Duck, but I can't be absolutely sure. (laughs) So let's ask now, because each of these control spirits, all right, they have a cluster of demons in their pack, all right? Now, let's have a look at the demons that gather around Jezebel. So wherever you find Jezebel, you'll find her pack, or, as Bill Sabritsky calls it, her children. That's how he refers to her. Each of these control spirits has their children, all right? Now then... (coughs) Firstly, firstly, he says uh, that each of, of, of these demons, these control demons, or these leader of the pack demons, or these strong men demons, uh, apparently they have a ruling spirit underneath them. So they're number one. They've got a number two, and then the rest are underneath that. All right. Now, apparently, uh, Jezebel's ruling spirit under her is called deception. All right. Now then, I'm going to list the rest now of the pack that surrounds Jezebel, all right? Now, I do warn you, there are 47, all right? Sorry, we've got to go through them because it's important, I'm sorry. (coughs) He lists 47 specific spirits who are in the cluster around Jezebel, but what he does say is that this list, and indeed the others that we're going to see, he does say in his book very, very clearly that these lists are by no means exhaustive, but that the Holy Spirit will lead his readers further concerning it all. So presumably there are others. All right, okay. Um, <coughs> now, that, so we're going to go through the list, and, and, and I'll warn you, we're going to hit problems here, but I'll, I will indicate the problems. Part is we hit them, and then at the end, okay. Now, these are the demons... In Jezebel's cluster. Okay? Now, I mean, each one, these are words, it's spirit of. All right? But I'm not going to put spirit of all the time, it takes too long. But first of all, we have the spirit of addictions, apostasy and divisions in the church. Come out, apostasy and divisions in the church. Adultery. All these are evil spirits. These are the specific names of specific evil spirits. Adultery, arrogance, broken marriages, charms. Then you get deception, the ruling spirit, because he lists these in alphabetical order, which I think is a little bit of a help, actually. (laughs) Then you get the spirit of divination. Then you get the spirit of domination. Then you get the spirit of drugs. Now, problem number one, because we've just had the spirit of addictions. Can't quite see the difference there. Then you get fear. Then feminism. Then filthiness of spirit or flesh. Then the spirit of fornication. Now, here's another problem, because the next spirit is the spirit of free love. And I can't see the difference. The spirit of free love and fornication, I mean, what's, what's the difference, all right? Might at best be the difference between Bob and Robert. I mean, I, I, I just don't know. <laughs> then you get <laughs> hatred. <laughs> hatred. Harlotry. Now, remember, these are, these are the names of individual spirits, according to Bill Sabritsky. Hatred, harlotry, heresies. I just want you to note that one, all right? Then you get homosexuality, idolatry, incest and indecency. Now, there's a little footnote here. The spirit of incest and indecency is always there because a previous generation that was involved in idolatry has been cursed. Just put that in, it's handy to know. <laughs> then you get <coughs> Then you get the spirit of jealousy. then you have now these three baffle me. You get the spirit of lasciviousness, the spirit of lust and the spirit of unclean thoughts. Now I'd have thought they're all the same, but just telling you what he teaches then you get the spirit of masturbation. Then the spirit of occultic things. Now, I want you to remember that. You're already remembering heresies. Remember occultic things, all right? Then you get perverted sexual acts. Then the demon of oral sex. Then the demon of false religion and heresies. Now, firstly, we've had that one already, haven't we? I asked you to remember the spirit of heresies. Mm. Well, now we've got the spirit of false religion and heresies, all right. But also, under false religion and heresies, he lists Mormons, JWs, blah, 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 blah. (laughs) So there's another possibly 40 or 50, depending on which sect I suppose the person you think has got the demon has come from. (coughs) Then you get the spirit of pride, then the spirit of sorcery, then the spirit of spiritism. Now, we just had the spirit of occultic things, haven't we? Now we've got the spirit of spiritism. Try casting that one out when you've had a couple of drinks. Oh, you spirit spiritism. (laughs) Right? Then you get the demon of spiritual blindness... But the brackets here, explaining what these demons are all about, he he lists Freemasonry and Mormons, etc, etc. But how's that different from false religions and heresies? I mean, you know, these lists are very, you know... Then you get the spirit of religion. Then you get the spirit of witchcraft. Now, this is interesting because the spirit of witchcraft, all right, gets a little note again, all right, i.e. domination. Now, if you look up the word witchcraft in the dictionary, you won't find the explanation for witchcraft domination. But what is equally baffling is that we had domination right at the top of the list. Weird, all right? Then you get the spirit of lying, then blasphemy, covetousness, secular humanism, permissiveness, and back to fornication, I. Eh? and then the spirit of all occultic involvements. Now, the thing to get, all right, there's 47-odd there's demons in this pack. These are all individually named demons. This is what I want you to understand. We're dealing here with a cluster of 47 demons all with different names. Pride, lust, blah, blah, blah. OK. Now then, let's, so that's the first one, that is Jezebel, all right, the main strongman spirit. Let's move on to the second strongman spirit that he teaches about, and it's the spirit of Antichrist. Let's uh, go to 1 John, and we'll have a look at the actual biblical basis that he claims for this. 1 John, <coughs> we saw this a little bit last time. And uh, this particular passage in 1 John 4, we will be back to in more detail in a later study. Um, Last time we, um, you know, homed in on a, you know, like what it means to test the spirits, okay, what that meant. It was talking about people, not demons. Um, And in verse 2, it says, by this you know the spirit of God... Every spirit which confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is of God. And that was the test for how the early church could establish whether a preacher was a genuine born-again preacher or whether he was a false prophet. <laughs> and it says, And every spirit which does not confess Jesus is not of God. This is the spirit of Antichrist, of which you heard that it was coming, and now it is in the world already. Now then, Here in this verse, is this talking about a particular demon that is out with its cluster looking for people to get into? Is that what the Bible's talking about here? So remember the context is that Paul, uh, here John is talking about how to test people. Remember, they didn't have the Bible, it wasn't completed. So therefore, they needed a, a quick off the cuff test to find out if someone was biblical, you know, if they were genuine or not. Now, when he talks here about the spirit of Antichrist, I mean, what we're talking about here is that the spirit of Antichrist is a phrase for the exerting of Satan's power worldwide, which is going to eventually culminate in the Great Tribulation when Satan will get what eventually he's been working up to the whole time. And it's through one man, the Antichrist, Satan will receive worship as God. Now, that's what the Bible's talking about in the spirit of Antichrist. In the same way, it's about the spirit of God. I mean, the Holy Spirit is kind of doing God's thing on the earth. Now, here, the spirit of Antichrist is talking about that push. And what is it that Satan's trying to do? The phrase or the word Antichrist, it doesn't mean against Christ. In the Greek, anti means instead of. Now, that is what Satan's trying to do. He wants to set up his own Messiah instead of Jesus. Is he? So the spirit of Antichrist is under Satan's instigation and power. It's that which mankind in rebellion against God comes up with in order to substitute Jesus. So as it were, find their own way to God but cutting Jesus out and finding something or someone instead of him. Now, that's what the Bible's talking about there, and we'll be back to that verse uh, in later studies. Bill Sobritsky says this is one of the strong men demons, all right? Now, we've got to actually now look at the, the, the cluster or, or, or the children of the spirit of Antichrist, all right? Just go through it. First of all, the spirit of anger, then bitterness, then blasphemy. Now, we had that in the last list as well. Corrupt communications, curses, dissensions, drunkenness, envy, hatred. We had that in the first list. Fear, we had that in the first list. Remember, these are demons, specifically named demons. Filthy language, lack of faith, lying, that's a repeat. We had that in the first list as well. Malice, murders, after murders we get nightmares, outbursts of wrath. Can you imagine trying to call someone who's thinking, oh, outbursts of wrath come out, you know, silly, isn't it? Poverty. <laughs> Rebellion, (coughs) spirit of wretchedness, spirit of rejection, (coughs) selfish ambition, stealing, strife, (coughs) torment, unbelief, but we've just had lack of faith, (coughs) unforgiveness, anti-Semitism, Marxism... and Islam. Now, they are the demons, all right, that are in the pack of which the strong man is the spirit called the spirit of Antichrist, all right? So that is strong man number two. Let's move on now to strong man number three, all right? And uh, strong man number three, believe it or not, is the spirit of death and hell. Just go to Revelation chapter 20. Revelation chapter 20. The spirit of death and hell. Revelation chapter 20. Now, let me say first of all, all right, uh, that for a start, you cannot have a spirit of death and hell if only for the reason that in the New Testament, there's no such place as hell. It's Hades. Uh, Where hell came from was simply... Uh, that in the Old Testament there was a general Hebrew word which was a a comprehensive word for the place of the dead. It wasn't specific. It it didn't distinguish between where the saved dead go and where the unsaved dead go. It was a general word for the place of the dead. And that Hebrew word was sheol. Now, the English transliteration of the Hebrew sheol is hell. So in that sense, technically, the word hell in English simply means the place of the dead. But the New Testament defines things far more clearly because it tells us about the place where those who die who are saved go and the place where those who die who are unsaved go. And the place where the unsaved go when they die is Hades, not hell at all. So very often in your New Testaments, I've said this before, whenever you get the word hell in your New Testament, there'll be a little note and at the bottom, it will tell you what the actual Greek word is. It will tell you whether it's Tartarus, i.e. where the demons went, who did their bit during the time of Noah, or whether it's Gehenna, which is the lake of fire, or whether it's Hades, which is the place that the lost dead go to awaiting the time when they're going to be thrown into the lake of fire, all right? But technical points like accuracy doesn't stop people like this. The spirit of death and hell, all right? Now, let's read the verses that he quotes for this. (coughs) Revelation 20 and verse 13. (coughs) And the sea gave up the dead in it, Death and Hades gave up the dead in them, and all were judged by what they had done. Then death and Hades... My Bible's actually got it right. It hasn't got hell here. It's got Hades. Were thrown. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. Now here... <coughs> Bill Sabritsky says that here is where his third strongman demon, the spirit of death and hell, is dealt with by God. Now, let's ask ourselves, is this talking about a spirit? Let's, Let's go back to verse 11. Let's get the context here. Then I saw a great white throne, and him who sat upon it. From his presence earth and sky fled away, and no place was found for them. This is the final judgment. All right. The universe has been destroyed and it's just before the new heavens and the new earth come into being. At this point in history, every believer throughout history is now glorified because it's at the end of the thousand-year reign of Christ. So everyone throughout history who believed in Jesus has got their glorified bodies. <laughs> and everyone throughout history who died not following him have been cast down into Hades. Now then, remember that there comes a time, Jesus taught, when even, even the wicked, the people who rejected him, are going to be raised to a resurrection of torment. Now, what we have here is the time when all the unbelievers throughout history, who are now in Hades, are raised from the dead. They are given resurrection bodies. All right, let's keep read through it, throwing it. And I saw the dead, all right? Because all these, these unbelievers throughout history, all right, they're dead, haven't got a body and they're brought before the Lord. I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne and the books were opened. Also another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged by what was written in the books. I were, you know, had they turned to Jesus. Which book were they in? Were they in the Lamb's Book of Life or were they in the other book where all the records of their deeds were kept just in case God could slip them in on their own righteousness? But, of course, there's none righteous, no, not one. And the sea gave up the dead in it. Death and Hades gave up the dead in them and all were judged by what they had done. Now, what we've got here is quite simply this. All unbelievers throughout history are now raised from the dead. They're given resurrection bodies, right? And where were they all that time? They were in Hades, a place. And the place is called Death and Hades because they were all dead. And now they all come out of Hades and they get glorified bodies. And what happens now is then Death and Hades were thrown into Lake of Fire. Hades itself is thrown into Lake of Fire, the place. Now that makes absolute sense. When a believer dies, where do they go? To paradise. I would maintain the Garden of Eden. But that aside, we know from the Bible that when a believer dies, they go to paradise. Now, before Jesus ascended, paradise was in the center of the earth. When Jesus ascended, he transferred it into heaven. So the point is, where is the place that the believing dead go? It's in heaven where eternity is going to be spent because heaven will come onto the new earth. So, where do unbelievers go? Hades, where's that gonna end up? Where they're gonna spend eternity in the lake of fire, or Gehenna, makes perfect sense. So simply here, the place called Hades is cast into the lake of fire, boom, boom. We're talking about a place here, and it couldn't be clearer. We are not talking about a spirit or a demon that is called death and hell, period, it's a place. Now, let's just look at her children. Where you find the spirit of death and hell, you'll find these as well. You will find the demon of sickness, of pain, of plagues, of breathing problems, spirits of infirmity. Now, how's that different from sickness? I mean, you have to ask, don't you? You've got a demon of sickness and demon of infirmity. What's the difference? The demon of guilt is in this pack. The demon of condemnation and fear the demon of curses, now that's been a repeat from the other two, the demon of suicide, and the demon of self-destruction. Now, a little quote here. He says, under sickness, I would include all forms of sickness, particularly those of long-standing origin. So you can chuck in this pack any sickness, particularly those of long-standing origin. Don't know what that means. So the point is... Pretty big cluster. Now, basically, what I set out to do, and it, it proved to be more difficult than I thought, um, is I thought, right, I'm going to actually track down and count and log all all the demons that Bill Sabritsky plus other people between them, all the demons that they've got cat- you know, catalogued, the various demons. I thought, I'll get the lot, you know, because we want to be accurate here. Let me tell you, I stopped counting at 300. You know, I mean, 300 plus. I mean, you can virtually keep going ad infinitum. But I, I personally, through, through the literature and stuff like that, I, I, I can personally vouch for over 300 demons that they have got catalogued. Specific demons of whatever. And believe me, spirit of, and you can virtually put any word there you like they know a spirit called it and have dealt with it, you see. Um, so I stopped counting when I got to 300, because I thought, this is getting silly, you know. <laughs> I've got, got a series of demonology to prepare, I kept thinking <laughs> to myself. <clears throat> now, it gives you an idea. It gives you an idea. Now, also, he teaches that these... Str- and, and, and all this is taken from just one of his books called Demons Defeated, as I said earlier. Now, he also makes the point that these strong men, these three strong men, these spirits, all right, the spirit of Jezebel, the spirit of Antichrist, and the spirit of death and hell, that he says they form an unholy trinity. And it works like this. The spirit of Jezebel is a counterfeit of the Holy Spirit. The spirit of Antichrist is a counterfeit of God the Father. The spirit of death and hell is a counterfeit of Jesus. I'm just telling you what he says. And he also says that it's of great significance that they are cast in the lake of fire in that order. So what he says is, Jezebel is kind of, you know, Holy Spirit, Antichrist, the equivalent of God the Father, and death and hell, the equivalent of Jesus. Kind of satanic counterfeit, counterfeit trinity. And he says that it's of great significance that they're cast into the lake of fire in that order, Jezebel, Antichrist, death and hell. Now, there are three things I want to ask there. Firstly, he gives no scripture to demonstrate that whatsoever. All right. Uh, Secondly, what would the significance be anyway? And thirdly, what on earth is this unholy trinity all about? I mean, what, Jezebel, Holy Spirit, Antichrist, God the Father, death and hell, Jesus... Um, I mean, at least you can sort of see that, I mean, like in the last days, during the Great Tribulation, there's sort of like going to be a bit of a counterfeit trinity, isn't there? That sort of Satan, almost a counterfeit of God the Father, you know, kind of, you know, the motivating force behind it all. Uh, You've got the Antichrist himself, almost a counterfeit of Jesus, receiving worship. And then you've got the false prophet who works miracles to, to bring worship To the Antichrist, well, I mean, there's a kind of a a satanic counterfeit of the Holy Spirit who glorifies Jesus by signs of power, blah, blah, blah. But this, I mean, there's just no rhyme nor reason in it at all. Now, at this point, let me start responding, all right? There are just a few things that I want to say. Given all this, let me respond to it. (laughs) In regards to his three strong men demons, all right, the spirit of Jezebel, the spirit of Antichrist, and the spirit of death and hell, all I can do is to leave you to decide in regards to the names and whether or not he's got that from the Bible. I mean, I've given you what he says, I've given you what I said. It's, it's down to you to actually decide um, who's right and who's wrong. Uh, But let's just deal with this thing that he talks about strong men demons. Where does that come from in the first place? I mean, where does the idea of strong men demons come from? Well, there are two verses, and we're going to look at them. First of all, go to Isaiah 49. And we're going to Isaiah 49 because the other verse that we're going to look at that Jesus spoke about, he based it on this verse. So let's look at the verse he based it on first, as it were. Uh, Isaiah 49, and we'll read from verse 24. Isaiah 49, and uh, verse 24. Right, now then, can the prey be taken from the mighty, or the captives of a tyrant be rescued? Surely, thus says the Lord, even the captives of the mighty shall be taken, and the prey of the tyrant be rescued. For I will contend with those who contend with you, and I will save your children. I will make your oppressors eat their own flesh, and they shall be drunk with their own blood as with wine." then all flesh shall know that I I am the Lord your Saviour and your Redeemer, the Mighty One of Jacob. But the main thing there is that in verse 24 and 25, you get the idea of the captives being taken from the tyrant. All right, the captives being taken from the mighty. All right, now bearing that in mind, go to Matthew chapter 12. And this is the main verse where this thing about strong men or the strong man, comes in. Matthew chapter 12 and verse 29. Um, you get this repeated in Mark and Luke. Mark and Luke each report this story as well. We'll just look at Matthew's account of it. Um, now, what we've got here <coughs> is that Jesus has healed someone. He's cast the demon out of somebody, and the effect that this demon had on the person is that they were blind and dumb, all right? Now, you'll remember, we saw in the Traditions series and various other series as well, that according to uh, the teaching of the time, all right, the Pharisees of the time, um, that there were certain signs that only Messiah could perform. And one of them was casting out a dumb spirit, a spirit who prevented the person from being able to talk. So what we're dealing with is that if someone had an evil spirit and the effect of this evil spirit was that the person was rendered dumb, then Pharisaic Judaism taught that only Messiah could cast out such a demon. Now, the reason for that (coughs) is that Pharisaic Judaism was very specific on how you cast demons out. And what it taught was this, and strangely enough, what we're going to move on to see is that it's the Pharisaic Judaism teaching about casting out demons that is still in the church today. What they taught was this, in order to cast a demon out, you had to first of all ascertain what its name was. Then, having ascertained what the demon spirit of whatever what the demon's name was, you then cast it out using its name. So, Pharisaic Judaism at the time of Jesus taught that in order to cast evil spirits out, they believed that demons had names, specific names, you had to find out what the demon was called that you were dealing with and you had to cast it out using its name. This, of course, created a problem with anyone who had an evil spirit who rendered the person dumb. Because the person wouldn't speak and neither would the spirit. Therefore, the name of the demon could not be ascertained. Therefore, it couldn't be cast out. So therefore, you were stymied at casting out a spirit that was causing someone to be dumb. So here, what's happened is that Jesus has cast out a spirit that was making someone dumb. Now look at the response. And all the people were amazed and said, can this be the son of David? Son of David was one of the terms for Messiah. Why? Because the Pharisees themselves taught all right, that only Messiah could cast a demon out in those circumstances. Now, this is exactly what Jesus has done. But verse 24, but when the Pharisees heard it, they said, it's only by Beelzebub, the prince of demons, that this man casts out demons. So what they're saying is, I mean, they're in a, you know, they're in a bit of a quandary here because they, they know that Jesus is Messiah, but they don't want him to be. And they certainly don't want the people believing he's Messiah. So having worked a messianic miracle, the way that the Pharisees try and get around it is by saying, no, 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 he did that by the power of Satan. He's, it's, he's demonic, as it were, is what they were saying. Now, what happens is that Jesus goes on and he says this, knowing their thoughts, he said to them, every kingdom divided against itself is laid waste and no city or house divided against itself will stand. And if Satan casts out Satan, he is divided against himself. How then will his kingdom stand? And if I cast out demons by Zebub." By whom do your sons cast them out? Therefore they shall be your judges. So what Jesus is doing, he's simply showing them what a stupid thing it was they've just said. Why would Satan anoint someone to cast evil spirits out? I mean, a house divided against itself is going to fall. That's what Jesus is saying. And he also says, right, you're standing there, I've just cast a demon out, and you're saying I've done it by the power of the devil. Well, you lot cast demons out. Therefore, are you doing it by the power of the devil? Can you see? And he just throws it back to demonstrate how ridiculous it is what they've said. And he goes on to say, but if it is by the Spirit of God that I cast out demons, and obviously it was by the Spirit of God he cast out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. What Jesus is saying, look, it is obvious that what I've just done is by the power of the Spirit of God. And therefore, it establishes that our Messiah, I mean, the Pharisees, I mean, they they were hating him more by the second. I mean, Jesus, he just destroyed them. Didn't matter what they brought against him, he stripped them bare in front of everyone and showed beyond all doubt that they were totally wrong and that he was right. Okay. And what he goes on to say, he says, how can one enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first binds the strong man? Then indeed, he may plunder his house. Now here, Jesus is referring back, you can see the similarity to that verse in Isaiah. Now what Jesus is saying is this, (coughs) he's saying, look, if you've got a strong man, all right, who's got various goods that you want, you can't go in and get the goods unless you first deal with the strong man who controls the house. But if you deal with the strong man then you can go in and take whatever it was under his control because you've tied him up. He's bound, you know? He can't stop you anymore. Now, this strong man, what does Jesus mean? What have they just said? They virtually told him, you've done this by the power of Satan. Now, the Jews were quite aware that Satan, all right, was kind of in charge of the fallen angels, as it were. You know, Satan was the number one demon, okay? Okay. And what Jesus is saying is he says, look, you're saying that I've I've just done this by the power of demons. He says, no, I've just done something that you yourselves admit that only Messiah can do. You were absolutely defenceless against demons that wouldn't speak. You were defenceless. I've beaten them, all right? And in regards to you saying that I'm doing this under the power of Satan, what Jesus is saying, can you not see the fact that I am doing what I'm doing means that I have dealt with Satan. Satan is the strong man, can you see? And what Jesus is saying is that because he had dealt with and was in process of dealing with and finally dealt with once and for all Satan on the cross when he died on the cross, what Jesus is saying is that if you bind the strong man, then you can plunder his goods. Jesus is saying, the reason that I have absolute authority over evil spirits, that I have absolute authority over what Satan has done in the lives of people, is precisely because I have beaten Satan. Now, can you see, Jesus is saying Satan is the strong man. And because Jesus has dealt with Satan, Satan's goods can be plundered can you see Jesus has beaten Satan the number one demon the king the big white chief at the top of the demonic hierarchy therefore if Jesus has beaten him which he has hands down all demons are at his mercy and this reference to the strong man is simply this throughout history Satan has kept people in bondage because of their sin Satan is the god of this world there was no escape Jesus came, dealt with the sin problem. Therefore, for anyone who turns to Jesus, the power of Satan is cancelled out in their lives. Therefore, when Jesus died on the cross, Satan lost his power over this world. The strong man has been bound. Satan has been defamed. So the strong man is quite simply Satan himself. And Jesus says, I've dealt with Satan. Therefore, other evil spirits are no problem at all. So having seen that, we can sort of, you know, sort of like junk, not just the names of these strong men- demons that Bill Sabritsky talks about, we can junk the idea of strong man demons full stop. They are just demons. The strong man Jesus was referring to was the fact that he'd beaten Satan. So Satan has lost his power as the god of this world, and therefore the captives can be set free because Satan himself has been dealt with. So firstly, it's not just that these strong man demons that Bill Sabritsky talks about, Jezebel, the spirit of Antichrist, the spirit of death and hell, it's not just that those names aren't biblical in any way at all. The idea of strong man demons is not biblical in any way at all. Here, In Matthew, it was simply a reference that Jesus made to Satan. So that's the first thing that I want to respond to. Um, What about all the children then, these these lists of demons? Each so-called strongman demon has its pack its cluster, its children, the subservient demons under its authority. What about that? Now, next time, in the next talk, we're going to deal with the subject of demon, do demons have names, all right? That's, that's, that's for next time. Uh, but for now, I'll say just this. These lists of demons, and incidentally, incidentally, let me ask you this, where have those lists come from? There's only one place that those lists could have possibly come from. It's what demons have said. See? It's what demons have called themselves. Those lists are based on information culled from demons in the process of casting them out. Now, as I've said a thousand times, and I'll say it again, if you want to believe what demons say, then more fool you. Satan is a liar. Anyone who takes the slightest bit of notice of what evil spirits says, I mean, just does not understand their Bible. They do not understand the nature of the beings, evil spirits, they're coming up against. So all those lists, that information, that has been got, not from the Bible, it's been got from personal experience of casting demons out. It's based on subjective experience plus what demons themselves say when they get kicked out of people. And remember last time I started this whole series by saying the problem is today... That the demonology that Christians believe in is not from the Bible alone, it's bits of the Bible plus subjective experience plus what demons say plus stupid speculation that doesn't even make sense. And from the bit we saw earlier looking at the argument that evil spirits aren't you know, as are separate from fallen angels, it's not even good speculation. It doesn't even make logical sense, even. I mean, it's crazy. OK. But in regards to, you know, all these lists of these demons of this, that and the other, uh, I'll say just this. The lists themselves make no sense. The lists themselves make no sense whatsoever if given as names of demons. I mean, for instance, they're completely repetitive. Um... What's the difference between a spirit of heresies and a spirit of false religion and heresies? What can possibly be the difference between those spirits? Um, and if you get as well that you get more, you know, brackets, Mormonism, JWs, etc., etc. I mean, if you're casting a, a spirit of false religion and heresies out of someone who's getting converted from being a Mormon... What do you call... Do you call it a spirit of false religion and heresies? Or do you call it a spirit, spirit of false religion and heresies a la Mormon? I mean, you know, it's, it's just ridiculous. And the list can go on ad infinitum because, I mean, there's virtually an infinite number of heresies around. OK. Um... What's the difference between a spirit of spiritual blindness, i.e. Freemasonry, and a spirit of false religion and heresy, i.e. Freemasonry? Can you see? So it doesn't make any logical sense. It makes the information he's putting out doesn't make sense. Um, What's the difference between a a spirit of free love um, and a spirit of fornication? Um, And what's the difference between them and the spirit of permissiveness and the spirit of lasciviousness. I mean, they're just different words for exactly the same thing. Um, It raises, I mean, mean that, you know, it just makes no sense at all. If they're supposed to be demons' names, it's just crazy, all right? Um, Here's a question. Why is the spirit of fear in all three groups uh, and the spirit of lying in two groups, whereas the rest are just in one group each? I, I mean... What's the reason for it? I mean, what is the rationale behind It is, just makes absolutely no sense. So what we're seeing is that these lists themselves are completely nonsensical. I find I mean, I find myself amazed that Christians read these books and they read these lists and they, they, they just take it all in. Aren't people questioning things? I mean it seems to me that if you're Taking in any teaching, be it verbal, be it tapes, be it reading a book, you've got to test it by the Bible. Fine. But before you can test something by the Bible, you've got to understand it. How can you understand nonsense? I mean, this stuff really virtually can't be tested by the Bible because it doesn't make sense. You can only test something by the Bible that makes sense. Can you see? But not only are Christians not testing things by the Bible, but with stuff like this, they're just swallowing nonsense. I mean, you know, why aren't people saying, "Right, oh, this doesn't make sense? Yeah, you know, I mean, forget whether you believe in the spirit of Jezebel, blah, blah, blah. The lists themselves are nonsensical. It's such a shame that people don't, don't notice it. Um... Also, assuming, um, as Bill Sabritsky teaches, uh, that these spirits (coughs) have the name of, A, either the sin that they make people commit, and we'll be looking at that, or the bad effect they have on people. So, I mean, what he would teach, that these spirits, their names are either the sin that they're making you fall into or the bad effect. So, I mean, the spirit of fornication would come in category A, that makes you fornicate, which is a sin, or um, kind of, um, you know, like a spirit of breathing difficulties. That would create breathing difficulties, which wouldn't be a sin. I mean, that's the condition that you're in. Okay, now assuming, all right, therefore, that that is the nature of these demons, um, then let me ask, who you notice the spirit of poverty? Where does the Bible say that poverty is wrong? God will use poverty in people's lives to do a work. So can you see another problem with all this sort of stuff? As soon as you've got spirits of this, that and the other, when you get spirits of things that you cannot say biblically are wrong, we know that God uses poverty. God will put people through a time of poverty to mature them. So how can you have a demon of poverty? Okay, see, it's just absolutely lunatic. And the third thing, and basically the last thing that I want to say about this so far, and we will carry on next time, is given, because one of the tests I like to give is that for something that someone is teaching to be true, it has got to be consistent. If something isn't consistent with itself, it cannot possibly be true. I.e., for something to be true, you've got to be able to live by it. Okay. Now, given that Bill Sabritsky is quite unashamedly a practicing Anglican, and he's quite unashamedly a practicing Anglican, he's held every position, every lay position in the Anglican Church that you can have, and he is an Anglican. All right. Given that that is the case and given uh, that he believes, as we will see in later studies, that you can cast demons out using holy water that's been blessed, all right, given that, would it be possible for him to spot the spirits of religion, spiritual blindness and heresies that he talks about anyway? Do you see the point? Given that he's an Anglican, and that he'll use holy water to cast demons out, and given that he believes in demons of religion, spiritual blindness, heresies and deception, could he spot them anyway? Do you see the boy? He's into it himself. Now, that there's, that there's a little you know, hump for him to get over. Um, and how many of such spirits, according to his own teaching, must he himself have? Yeah. If he's an Anglican, and if he's doing holy water. I'm not the one who believes in this, that and the other. He does. I'm just saying by his own teaching, he must have them coming out of his ears. So how can he cast them out of other people? By definition, he wouldn't be able to admit they're in him. Because he's practising things that aren't biblical. And if something's not biblical, it's a deception. Anglicanism, holy water, blah, blah, blah. Incredible. And another question. You've got spirits of everything, haven't you? All right. Where are the spirits of Anglicanism? (laughs) But that's an important point, isn't it? Where are the spirits of Anglicanism? You see, you won't even find a spirit of Catholicism because he's a good ecumenical man. So can you see? I mean, he would say... I mean, at least say with the spirit of fornication, you can say, absolutely against the Bible. And he's, they're right. So, according to his teaching, safe to have a demon at fornication. At least we can define fornication as being desperately wrong. But for heaven's sake, casting demons out using holy water, isn't that wrong? Uh, having a priesthood, Anglicanism, blah, blah, blah. These things are Being a Methodist, you name it. All these things are completely against the Bible but he doesn't have demons of that sort of thing, does he? Why not? He won't get invited to any more big conferences because they're all ecumenical and he'd be out of a job. So, can you see the desperate weaknesses? One, is this stuff biblical? Well, you must decide I have, I don't think it is. Alright? So it's not biblical. But I maintain it doesn't even make sense. It's nonsense. You know, you cannot make out a logical argument for the sort of stuff we've got here. It's contradictory. I mean, it just doesn't stand up to scrutiny at all, does it? It falls to bits even with the test of simple common sense and logic. So how can it pass the test of is it biblical? So therefore, we've had a taster of the false teaching are up against and I hope that you're getting the point now. Um, I mean some of you, you're aware of all this you've you've heard the teaching it's been around for years you've you've been brought up in it almost as a Christian but there are others who haven't been on the Christian scene and you're probably thinking are Christians absolute idiots? Aren't you? And all I can say is well apparently yes, an awful lot of them are and I think that's very sad doesn't look good does it? Anyway, next time we move on and we answer the question, do demons have names? And we'll be looking at the false teaching in regards to all that. So, come back for next week's exciting episode.